0: Well, I walked into the back and heard Carrie up here saying something about me preaching today and I'm thinking, I am? Maybe I should have dressed more appropriately for a day like this or for a job like this. You know, and then that whole let's go blues. I thought we're drafted, it was just sports theme or something. I would just wear this today. Actually, um, I know a pastor way, way back in the back, very fundamentalist pastor and, and in their church, they had uh, their board meeting every uh, first Sunday evening at 5, followed by evening services at the church, and every year, for the most part, the Super Bowl is on the last, or the, excuse me, the first Sunday of, of the month of February, and he would send out a letter to the men and his, on his leadership team, and of course, you had to be a man to be on his leadership team because, you know, women, anyway. I hope that didn't sound derogatory because hopefully that built you up because <laughs> I disagree with that. Anyway, so in his letter, he would usually say something along the lines of that I know there's the Super Bowl tonight. If you feel like that's more important than serving God, then you just stay home and we'll accept that as your resignation from the board. I'm like, where do we sometimes miss the fact that we live in a real world that we are not just Christians, and then there's everybody and everything else, but God calls us to be in the world. He's not of it, but in it. And I think it's important to be in the world, to be a part of our culture, a part of our community. And so I looked at this shirt for about a minute today and said, well, if nothing else, hopefully they'll forgive me for wearing it. <laughs> but that's only for you who are Blackhawk fans and... You guys are at home anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, We're studying or in the midst of a series on drafted, which kind of has the the idea that in sports uh, we draft players that we think might ultimately be a part of our pro team and, and we invest in them and train them and hope that their skills are developed to where one day they can play for the big team, but along the way they're still playing. And for us, that means uh, that's all about serving, being drafted, being asked, being called to serve, using your gifts and abilities that God has given you and your passions. And so far, we've talked a lot about that, about about who we serve and the needs to serve and the difference we can make by serving. Today, we're going to personalize it a little bit more and look at ourselves and those things that sometimes stand in the way of our serving and then what it is we miss potentially when we choose not to serve. As we start, pray with me. God, help us today to look in it, at ourselves, to reflect on our own motives, our own thoughts. God, help us to ask the question of, do we may, need to make a change? Do we need to do something different? What is it? that you want to do in our lives. For your name we pray, amen. Well, for 30-some years now, I've been inviting people to serve. And when I was younger in ministry, it was really hard for me to do that. I was a young youth minister, full-time, for the first time at a church, and they're paying me. I'm like, I'm gonna ask people to use their time to come and help me, and this my job, and and, and, and I knew I needed help. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. And so I would ask people sometimes reluctantly, or I'd say, I know you probably don't want to do this, but. But over the years, I started seeing the difference it made in their lives when they served. Now, not everybody found the right place at the right time, the first time, but I would watch people begin to flourish and I began to see it different that it's not about me asking somebody to help me with something, but an opportunity for somebody's life to be changed by what they do and how they use their gifts. But I would hear a lot of excuses or reasons why I can't serve right now. And I always respect those, and some of those are very legitimate. But I found that most of them fall under one category, and it's the what if category. For example, one of the things that keeps us from serving is, what if I don't know enough? So I ask you to teach a class. What if I don't know enough to teach that class? Well, first and foremost, if you've ever taught, you know this simple principle that you learn more when you teach than when you're a student. So if you have the faith, you step up and you teach and you have the ability to teach, the knowledge will come and hopefully you have people in leadership that will help give you that knowledge. You'll be given the, the tools, the resources, the books, the, the curriculum that will help you teach along the way. But what you'll find is that even when you don't have as much knowledge as you think you need, your knowledge will increase so much faster as you teach or as you serve. And one of the big things is the fear of those questions, especially in youth ministry. You know, the big questions, like, well, who created God? (laughs) Or how do we know the Bible is true? How do we know that Jesus was really a person? Those can be intimidating questions. And there's a lot of other questions like that. I always say there's two ways to respond. First, if you don't know, say, I don't know. But then follow that up with, let's find out together. Let's explore that. And one of the things about serving is you don't have to have all the skills and the abilities and and knowledge as much as you just need the willingness and the understanding of the calling. Next is, well, what if I teach or say the wrong thing? What if I run somebody out of the church? Or what what if I say something that's not really true? Or, well, Again, I've been in ministry for a long time. Trust me, I have said a lot of wrong things. I look back at some of the things I taught, some of the theology I taught, and it would not be the same as I do today. But like all of us, we're on a journey. We're learning. We're growing. We learn from those things. And when we're not sure what to teach, we ask somebody. Not sure what to say, ask somebody. Again, if we're afraid That we might do or say something that's not quite right. In fact, here's the thing if you're the person who says, I'm a little bit afraid of serving because I might say the wrong thing, you're the person I want because you care about saying the right thing. Does that make sense? I've said that to a lot of people. When they would say, Well, here's my weakness, I say, You recognize that as your weakness? Yeah, that means you could be a good servant. Being self aware. Here's the big one. This is for me in particular. What if I fail? Well, so what? We all fail. How many things in your life have you never tried and you have regrets because you were afraid you would fail at them? Or how many things are there in your life that you were afraid you would fail, but you tried anyway, and now you're so glad that they're a part of your life? For me, it comes out of an insecurity, self-esteem things. I remember I was a young teacher, I was teaching physical education, I was coaching high school basketball, I was athletic director and at this high school, and one day I found myself in a classroom, not the gym where I was comfortable, but in a classroom, and there's computers. This is the mid-80s, by the way. I'd never touched a computer before. And these kids are going, Mr. Roderick, here, come here, let me show you something. And I said, here, try this on the computer. And I'm telling you, my anxiety was off the charts. My fear, I would not even sit down in that chair. I had so many excuses why I didn't have time to do that. But what I really wasn't saying to them is, I'm afraid to, I'm going to look like a fool in front of you guys. You're younger than me, you know more than me, and I'm not going to try it. Fast forward a year later, and I'm in graduate school, and I'm writing a paper on a typewriter... And I decided computers may not be such a bad thing after all. Not only did we invest in a computer, but I fell in love with computers. I loved what they could do, except back in the day, they could lose a whole paper at one time, many of us discovered, but now we have autosave. But I've loved working with computers over the years because I overcame my fear of something I didn't understand. And by the way, failure is only failure if you don't learn from it. In fact, if you don't fail along the way, you're probably not trying hard enough. If you don't fail, you're not learning the lessons that are gonna make you better. I love working in an environment where we have freedom to fail. And guess what? Read the Bible. God has given us lots of opportunities to fail and still works with us and still grows us. Look at the life of the disciples. Failure after failure, but Jesus continued to invest in them. And make them into the people that God called them to be. Don't be afraid of failure. And here's a big one. What if I don't have time? Well, let me tell you, you don't. (laughs) You're busy. busy. We're all busy. You don't have time to serve in some of the ways you're asked to serve. But have you ever noticed how changing priorities change the way we use our time? Among the many things I do, I run a kickball league over here at our fields on Thursday night, a ladies kickball league. And, and got to know two of the ladies that, that are in that league uh, fairly well, and they're a couple, and they texted me back in January and they said, um, we just found out, well, one of them had a cousin who had a baby that was addicted to heroin. And it took 10 days or so to get that out of the baby system, get the baby ready to go home, and well, couldn't go home with the mom, the dad because uh, well, they were headed to jail. And so they asked for one of these ladies to have guardianship because they were a cousin of this little baby, this 10-day-old baby. These are two people who have full-time jobs, who have activities and friends and things they do. And now all of a sudden, two hours after they found out, this baby was dropped off in their home. That changed their priorities. They learned how to adjust. In fact, Tammy and I had the privilege yesterday of babysitting for them. We tried to do that because when we were young and and overwhelmed, we had people that would reach out and take care of our children so we could just have some time away. And it was fascinating, always amazes me how well they do with this little baby that they were not prepared to have. But I've watched them and I've watched how they changed their priorities when something more important came into their life. And I've seen that in ministry many, many times. People who walk in saying, okay, I'll give this a try. I'll serve at a small level. But when their lives begin to change, their priorities change. The way they use their time, their investments begin to change. The others, what if people don't respond to me? Well, see, here's the thing. Our responsibility is to serve, is to use our gifts. We can't force people to respond to what we say or what we do. And in fact, honestly, a lot of, most of the time, you will never know the impact that you've made on other people's lives when you've served them. In fact, a lot of the serving opportunities are so behind the scenes that you don't have an opportunity to see the impact that it has. But you're called to serve nonetheless. I love my parents for this. They were very active in their church, very committed, but rarely would you ever see them up front or teaching in a classroom. Most often you would see them mowing the lawn, planting flowers, fixing the plumbing, places that nobody knew or saw what they did other than the people who really needed them. But that was their service to the church. Some people are teachers and preachers, but others are behind the scenes, making things happen. And everyone is just as important in making a difference in people's lives. I had a fifth grade Sunday school teacher Well, when I was in fifth grade, a long time ago, even before I knew there were computers. And this poor guy, he tried so hard. It was obvious. I remember he knew the Bible, but you know, anything about fifth grade boys. And after just a few months of trying, he finally quit. I remember the pastor coming in and lecturing us about how we acted and how we ran him off. And I'm sure he walked away thinking he made no impact. But here it is all these years, these decades later, and I still remember him. I still feel guilty. I still wish I could apologize to him. We moved after that at some point, and I never saw him again but I wish I could apologize to him. But what I have done from a leadership standpoint is I've always tried to put people in places where they could succeed and give them tools to succeed. We had a recreation camp uh, here this week with a couple dozen little first through fifth graders. And day one, I shared with them that we want you to have fun, but we want you to have fun in such a way that you don't take away the fun of others. And I said, once you to look around and see the adults that are here, they're here because they want to work with you, because they care about you, and I want you to act in such a way that shows that you appreciate them. So from the very beginning, we cast the expectations of how people should act, and that's something I learned directly from this experience with this fifth grade Sunday school teacher who has no idea the impact he made on at least one of those boys. our job to serve God can take care of so much of the other so what's your what if what is your question I'll serve but what if process through that I don't know of a what if that we really can't overcome as long as it's an area that you have some type of gifting in And what I find is sometimes I see somebody has a particular ability and they begin to use that, but it's in the wrong place. It's not where their passion is. And when we move them into a place of their passion, they're doing the same thing, but they succeed. And they enjoy it. And they make an even bigger difference. In the scripture we read today, but first, did we read that scripture today? We did not read that in this service, did we? Let's read that right now. This is from Romans 10, chapter, or verse 8. I apologize for that. And the other in the services upstairs, they have someone who reads the scripture. And anyway, I apologize. I got up this morning, I said, I'm preaching today, but what if nobody reads the scripture? <laughs> I don't think I'm going. All right, here's what it says. This is Paul writing. He says, but what does it say? Well, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a great promise. For it's with your heart that you believe and you're justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly bless all who call on his name and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he says this, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, back to that first verse. Verse 8, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. When we serve, we have the reason for serving. It's in our mouth. We have the knowledge and it's in our hearts. And we have the purpose and that is teaching others about the faith that saves You don't have to have all the answers, but you have the purpose. You have the knowledge of what you're trying to accomplish. And you have the purpose, which is sharing faith with others. When we allow fear to keep us from serving, or when we serve from a place of fear, it robs us of the joy of serving. You see, servants are courageous people. Oh, You're not courageous. You're fearful. Too often we don't understand what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is taking a step toward that thing with which we fear in spite of the fear. Somebody asks you to serve in an area, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel fearful. That fear usually is a reflection of you caring, but just not sure you can accomplish it. Courage is taking it on anyway. And I encourage you to be courageous people. So those are the what ifs. What if this? What if that? But what about when we choose to serve? So often when we choose to serve, there are unexpected results. And, and I'm going to do the last part of this sermon with just telling some stories of the unexpected results of people that I've seen in their lives of what has happened when they chose to serve in spite of the what-ifs. First is a young lady named Beth. Early on, my first full-time youth ministry, first summer there, I was teaching a young adult Bible study. And she had just graduated from uh, college with a master's in speech pathology. I recognized right away that she had this bubbly uh, personality, connected well with people, and I said, you need to be a youth worker. She said, oh. I don't know what if i can't do that i said trust me you can and i gave her a very simple job that first few months well as the youth ministry began to grow and i came to her one day i said beth i need you to start small groups for us she's like i, I don't know anything about starting small groups what i didn't say to her is well i don't either and that's why i need you to try to do it so i think maybe you can do it and we went to conferences together and read books together and she started our small group ministry there. Well, shortly after I left that church, she transferred to another church, a large church in, this, in the area, just a attend to kind of be fed. And within two years, she was on staff. a couple years later, she was in charge of their women's ministry. And this was a large church, and she became the director of women's ministry and oversaw 60-plus women's small groups. She also became a part of a group that, that traveled and did seminars on how to do church better, on church leadership. One of the best things that I love about ministry is when I see people who have abilities that are even better than mine, giving them the freedom and the guidance and all that I can to let them grow and then watch them just flower. Nobody knew, certainly Beth or I, when I asked her to do small groups, that that's what would become of that ministry in her life. Nancy was the uh, parent of one of the teenagers in that group. And she came to me one day. She said, I, I want to help, but I don't really know what I can do. And, and I had a drama director who was really good but was pregnant. And having a baby is going to kind of change the way she serves for a little while. And I said, Nancy, why don't you work with Dina and, and just help her with this, with this uh, drama ministry? And they said, like, well, you know, I kind of like drama, but I don't know, any much, you know a lot about it. Before long, not only was she directing, but she was also writing a lot of the dramas. We'd use little short dramas in most of our uh, messages with kids, and and she became uh, a vital part of that. Well, her husband got transferred to Colorado. They joined a church out there, a large church, and she spent the next several years there as the director of creative arts in this church because she was willing to say, I'll try to do this, and God used those gifts. When I first got to that same church, there was a young man named Dan, and I met him within a couple of weeks of showing up there. He came up to church just broken. He'd been married for about two years and, and had moved from Texas to Virginia with his wife, and she had just told him that she was still in love with her old boyfriend and she was moving back to Texas. And so we would meet together, talk together, and I would encourage him. And one day I found out he played the guitar. I said, Well, you know, we, we need music in our youth ministry. And Wonder if maybe you'd be willing to play your guitar and help us sing. And he's like, well, I've never done anything like that. And he said, well, I'll try. And within a year or two, we had our own youth band. In fact, our youth band would go to other youth groups and play and, and, and I want you to know there's no ego behind this because I can't lead drama, I can't sing. I don't know anything about small groups. I just know that when somebody follows what God calls them to do, it's fascinating to watch them grow. A Couple years later, a young lady who had graduated from our, our church even before I got there had been away at college, and she got a degree in international uh, business and Japanese. Her and Dan met. I did their wedding. Sometime asked me about their wedding. It's a fascinating story. They got married, and they just finished a 15 year run as church planters in Japan. Not only could Dan play the guitar, but he also taught surfing and sailing and he built a church by teaching the, the, the presidents of Japan how to surf and how to sail. That's where he built the relationships and built that church. Those are all hugely unexpected results from a simple ask of, you play a guitar, would you try? I had no idea. A couple of short stories that, that, are, that are smaller, quicker impacts, but I think are just as important. Um, there was a young man named Nathan. He was a middle school boy. And we were doing an Easter party, an Easter egg hunt for this, um, uh, this home. It was a place for a home for abused women and children. And we did a lot of activities with them. And, and we're there. and We're hiding the eggs. It's really hot. And waiting for the kids to come out. And somebody, I don't even know where we got this. We had a bunny suit. I looked at that bunny suit. And I looked at Nathan. I said, that's a perfect fit. I said, Nathan, here, I want you to wear the bunny suit today. Nathan says, "Uh, um, uh, 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 uh." that's exactly what he said. (laughs) What's wrong? He goes, I'm not putting that on. I'll look stupid. Couldn't argue with that, but still, I needed needed him in the bunny suit. I said, yeah, but think about it. You can work with these kids, help these kids. And I still don't know how I talked him into putting that bunny suit on. But I did, we went through the whole program. The kids, they were all gone and we were gathering just to kind of have our little debriefing time. Nathan takes off that bunny hat, and I thought it was sweat on his face, but I soon realized it was tears. What's going on, Nathan? He looked at me, he said, do you think they had fun? I know they're in a bad situation, but do you think we made them happy just for today? I said, Nathan, because of you, they had a great day today. He was reluctant, yet when he served, it not only changed those kids, but it changed him. The unexpected results in his life. And then Lisa, I've struggled for years. I I don't tell this story very often because I don't know that I tell it really with the power that it has. But Lisa was a, a young high schooler at the time, Uh, Didn't know her dad. Her mom was in and out of prison because of drugs. She lived with grandma and grandpa. Uh, Grandpa had several physical abnormalities, uh, very little uh, ability to work. He worked what he could, did some odd jobs. Grandma was blind uh, and in a wheelchair. And they had nothing to give this little girl except some love. And I know we helped them out a lot with food, with clothes, with whatever we could as a church. And one night we sent uh, our high schoolers out to, on a project and I stayed back with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers went out to serve some kids who were um, uh, very underprivileged. I mean, we were taking them hats and coats, things for the, they needed for the winter, socks, things like that. And Lisa comes back or they all come back and, and I pulled Lisa aside, aside and I said, so how'd it go? And again, she started crying. She goes, I felt so bad for them. She said, they had nothing. She said, I just wanted to give them everything I had. And I wanted to look at her and say, Lisa, every one of those kids have more than you have. Except for one thing. Passion. God told this little girl who had nothing and helped her understand that she could give everything that she had. What's that scripture? Scripture. In our weakness, God is made strong. So often, we think we don't have enough to give, but it's when we don't have enough to give that God can most use us. And when we serve, God changes us, sometimes a lot more than we change the people we serve. I don't encourage you to serve so that you can be changed. But I can tell you this, when you serve, it will enrich your life as well. In just a few moments, in fact, they're setting up over there. We've got people from our church getting ready to pack lunches. We'll pack over 150 lunches today. Those folks that are packing those, never see the kids and the, the adults that receive those. Last week was our first week of the summer food program, and on Monday, we gave 145 meals away. It's people who have a heart, for people in need. And so between the 9 o'clock and the 1045 service, they're over there packing. Then others will show up on Monday morning and take them to the two distribution points in in Troy and hand them out. They don't just give food, though. They give relationship and friendship and conversation to the people who come up and meet them. We have a team of people who mow our, our ball fields over here. I don't know if you know, but an outfield is big. It takes a long time to mow yet they're there usually twice a week. And the reason they're there twice a week is because they know that when kids play sports and play baseball and softball in particular, it's, it's a different game when the grass is too tall. So they want our fields to look nice and to be very playable. And one of them was telling me the other day, he said, I stopped by on a Wednesday night. I was up here with my kids and I looked over the whole parking lot was full. Every field had kids playing on it. And they said, that's why I mow. Nobody else knows he mows over there or the other men that do this. Nobody knows they do it, but they do it because they see the impact it has on others. And when these families show up with their kids, they see these fields that belong to our church and they see that we care about them. That is a way in which we share our faith. Our upward basketball program one of the things that amazes me more than anything are not the people who volunteer who have kids there, although that amazes me. But all the people who come up on Saturdays and, and do things, we have people at Referee who have no kids in our program. We have people stand at the door and greet these six or seven or eight hundred people that come on a Saturday morning just to say welcome to our church. And people running concession stands that, that serves people uh, food and drinks, and, and, and but builds relationships with them. And we have people that coach and and people that set up and take down. And it's all about these little kids because every practice and every game, we share a devotion with them and tell them that Jesus loves them. But what I love is watching the difference it makes in the volunteers' lives. It'll change the kids. They know that they're loved and being invested in, but I love watching what it does to the coaches and the ones that come back year after year because of what it means to them to serve these little kids. Each week during this series, we highlight a particular area of our church and the needs and, and my job is outreach and mission. Sometimes we get confused around here about the difference between serving and sharing. Serving is when we volunteer to do the things that make our church work. Sharing is when we take, the love of Christ outside these walls and share it with others. And that's my job is to help us get outside these walls. Upward is inside these walls. I get it, but the majority of the people that come are from the community. That is us sharing. And we have a recreation and outreach team that puts together events for that. We have our Upward program. One of the things that we want to start for this fall to invite more young adults and, and and, and older adults, whoever, into our facility is a volleyball program. I've seen what's happened through our kickball and the ministry opportunities we've had. And I wanna do that same thing through a volleyball league. And we have a couple of people willing to step up and help lead it, but they need help. If you're willing to help with a, organize a volleyball league, uh, let us know that. If you wanna be on our recreation outreach team to help us plan events, including events that, that we call invite events, we want a culture in our church where you don't just say, hey, that looks like a fun thing at church. I'm going to go do it. But where you say, I want to invite some people to come along and experience what my church is like and meet some of the people of our church. And that's what we try to do through that is create those kinds of events and that kind of culture within our church. Upward in the fall we ask for sign-ups. We ask for people to help. There's all kinds of places. If you want to help with recreation, with outreach, put that on your card today. Let us know that. Turn that in. If you have questions, things that you want to know to get more clarity, call me, email me, text me, find out. I will help you get plugged in to that. Because I'm telling you, Troy United Methodist Church is making an impact on its culture by what we do beyond our walls. And I would love for you to be a part of that. Why? Because it will change our community. But guess what? It will change you too. I could have probably dozens of you stand up and share why serving has changed your life. But we're out of time, so I can't do that. (laughs) But trust me. Here's why we serve. The last part of that scripture everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the message of the church, that God loves you and wants you to experience him in a real way. Then Paul backs up and he says, but how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? how can someone tell them if they are not sent? That's how we send, by serving. That is us saying, here I am, send me. I want to be the teller of the good news. And when you mow a ball field, when you turn lights off and on to enhance a worship, When you clean up part of the building, when you set up for Sunday school, you don't have to be out front. When you serve in whatever capacity in the church, you are sharing the love of Christ. And here's what Paul says about those servants. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, that which was not clean, that which was not perfect, that which was our own weakness can be made beautiful and made useful for God. It will change us when we serve. I want to encourage you to be people with beautiful feet. Let's pray. God, help us encourage to take steps towards those things, even those things that we fear, so that we can make a difference, so that we can find our purpose and our passion in serving you, so that we can change and, and share your love and that message of hope and of faith with others. But God, so that our lives can be changed as well. As we take steps and our feet become beautiful, let us realize that we are salt and light in the world. We're the salt that preserves all that surrounds it and flavors all that it inhabits. And that we are light to a world so that others may see your goodness. First, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.